In our last class, we started to dig in to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll go back to that verse, also read verse uh, 17. We'll start with verse 16 and um, add a little bit more, and that's going to help us, I think, see where Paul's headed. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, and he's talking about the church. He says, Know ye not that ye are a temple of God, the church is a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Verse 17 says, If any man destroys the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, and such are ye. We know, or at least we should know, that the church is not a building. The church is the people who meet, perhaps in a building, perhaps in some other place. In verse 17, we kind of got through most of verse 16. Paul said, if you damage the church, he's talking, um, as you look at Corinth, specifically about the Corinthian congregation, but we could apply that to any congregation today. If you damage the church, is that serious or is it not serious? All right, we would say it's not just serious, but it is extremely serious. The promise is, if you destroy the church, God is going to destroy you. Now somebody says, well, look, I'm not just, I'm not destroying the church, I'm just going to damage it a little bit. Would you expect to fare that much better? If you don't destroy a local congregation, you just maybe chase off 30% of the membership. Well, you should still expect to face the wrath of God. So it's not as far as the degree of damage that's under consideration. It is if you go against the church, then you are really attacking God himself. When you look at the verses, you find 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, you find that um, Paul used a couple of different words here as far as destroy. This is especially visible in verse 17. And the word means the destruction of men as a result of God's judgment. The Greek text... The word is the same, but the King James would be one illustration of um, a translation offering two different words. For example, the King James, it says, uh, I believe it says defile and destroy, which they sound pretty similar. But when you know that the word is the same, if you destroy the church, God is going to destroy exact same word, you. That sounds almost like a blow for blow response by heaven. So the... Um, Punishment is commensurate with, it's consistent with, in this case, the deeds of the Corinthians. Far translated this, God will ruin the ruiner of the temple. If you were to put this into the form of an argument, it would say, if anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. Some do destroy the temple of God, therefore, those who are engaged in that activity will be destroyed. Um, when you think about attacks on the church, let's think about it from an internal perspective by fellow Christians, and let's think of it as an attack by non-Christians. And I have some more of the illustrations that will will look at this um, from different perspectives in a little bit, but let's generally think about this. Let's start with the non-Christian. How do non-Christians attack the church? Or do they? Ridicule. All right. Uh, ridicule. Now, that may not be in the same category for us as, as far as someone taking out um, physical punishment on a Christian, but there are certainly verbal assaults. Anything else? How the world attacks the church? Legal, legally. All right, sure. Uh, in our country right now, we've seen religious groups have a tax-exempt status for a number of years. Now, if you're a smaller congregation, tax exemption may not be a big thing. Uh, the goods that you buy, that dollar-wise might you know, be a few hundred dollars per year. The property you have, if you have property, may not be worth a lot, so your your taxes may not be that big of a deal. But if you're a sizable congregation, perhaps you have a large facility, there's some congregations that do that, uh, you can be looking at literally tens of thousands of dollars per year where that money could either be gone going to the government as far as taxation, or those funds could be used for something else such as missions. 
There are some people who for years have objected to churches having a tax-exempt status. They think that religious groups should be taxed. Now, if that day and time ever comes in the U.S. where religious groups are taxed, that's not going to be the end of the world. If God's people have to give up the buildings that they have, we can meet in other places. We can meet in homes. We can rent structures in places where the weather is good. Uh, we can meet outside. We have a lot of activities. But that is one way to persecute the church, to try to impose burdens uh, that in this case have not been previously imposed. Anything else as far as how the world might try to uh, destroy the church? Yeah, things that are contrary to God. You know, you as a religious group, you need to accept this, otherwise we're not going to accept you. If you're not willing to tolerate this stuff, then you are a bunch of hateful people. Uh, so we see those kinds of pressures from the world. How might Christians destroy the church? All right. There are a lot of things that they can do. Instead of trying to build people up, they tear people down. Gossip would be one way. Any other ways that we can think of as far as how Christians might destroy the church? Talk bad about the church to non-Christians. Okay. Uh, you know, that certainly is not going to incentivize somebody to become a Christian. If they're out there saying, well, you know, the congregation where we worship, it would be similar to somebody says, uh, you know, the place where I work, it is an awful place. The pay is poor, the benefits are rotten, the management is horrible, and they tell you uh, this long laundry list of bad things to work. Who wants to go out and apply for a job there? Nobody does. They're thinking, well, if I need a um, place of employment, I'm certainly not going to do that. Anything else as far as how Christians might um, uh, destroy the church? All right, false teachers. Tim? All right. Uh, again, people would say, well, I'm not doing anything to hurt the church. I just, you know, don't really support it very much. That's another way to do that. We find that principle over in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. As we sow, we're also going to reap. So how we treat the church is ultimately how we treat Christ as well. And we can be uh, one of the church's worst enemies. You may remember from the book of Galatians, I think it's Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15, Paul says, you bite and devour one another. People can do that in the church. Now, that shouldn't happen. Uh, there have been preachers who have been little more than attack dogs. There have been other people. Um, you know, I, I hopefully you will never have this experience, but you could be in a congregation at some point where you go up to someone who is perhaps serving as an elder, maybe the preacher, and you ask a question and you... Um, perhaps offer some feedback, whether it's negative or positive, and you, you get your head bitten off, so to speak. How are you going to feel? Or at least how would some people feel if they really get reamed out by the preacher or an elder or the eldership? All right. Uh, maybe to the point where you have someone who is newer in the faith, someone who is a young Christian, and that's, that's enough to cause them to say, I quit. Uh, now, maybe that's bad perception on the part of someone that had that experience, the preacher, the elder really didn't anticipate that that would be um, understood in that kind of way. Um, but there have been cases where someone did intend to be mean. And you are, again, being not a friend of the church, but you are being an enemy of the church. Anything that you want to add or ask before we talk about this expression, know ye not? Okay, that's back in verse 16. Paul says, know ye not, and that expression is used nine more times in this book. We are going to see it in chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 6, and the last time should be uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Paul uses that statement, know ye not, to introduce a statement, a truth, which is indisputable. 
In other words, well, in today's world, I guess you can't say that for a lot of people. But in, in the world, there should be some truths, there should be some things which we would say are indisputable. You cannot doubt that. There is just no way to argue some other explanation or some other possibility. This is the way that it is. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, do you not know? Um, know ye not? Uh, for the Corinthians, that should have been a truth which was so well ingrained in their minds, Paul didn't need to bring it up. Do you think that there are some people, though, today that as they think or don't think about the church, that they would not really give any consideration to how their actions may be either hurting or harming the church? They just go through life, and for them, they just kind of don't think about it. I think there are a lot of people who have that kind of mindset. But Paul says, don't you know, this should be something that uh, should be one of the basic foundational truths in the faith. Now, I've mentioned before to you at different times, we're about ready to look at verses 18 and 19 that you have in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can go down to about verses 18 through 20 where he once again says, uh, know ye not that ye are a temple of God. The statements look like they are identical. It looks like the exact point is the exact same, but that's not true. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're talking about the entire local congregation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he says, know ye not that ye are a temple of God, that's in the context of sexual immorality, and he's talking about individuals. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, you individually are a temple of God. That's how God sees the individual Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you, the local congregation, or you could look at that in the more universal sense, you as the church, the body of Christ, you are a temple of God. Tying that in with our discussion just a minute ago, if you are attacking a part, well, let's let's look at it from a, a secular standpoint. Let's say that you um, go out to Salt Lake City. The Mormons have their temple out there. I've never been inside the temple. Anybody ever been inside it? All right, one, two, all right, a couple people. Okay, all right, we've got Stan and we've got Marcia going out to the temple. Um, they go in there and they decide that they're going to spray paint a wall. Now, would you say that they have um, desecrated the temple? Yeah. Um, do they have to desecrate the entire temple to be guilty of desecrating the temple? No, you can just damage a little part. And here the same thing is true. You don't have to rip apart an entire local congregation. You might just take out a member or you might just take out three or four people. So sometimes I think people are left with the impression, well, I, I didn't attack the, the church. I didn't tear it down. It's still there, still meets, and uh, everything still seems to be okay. I just had an issue. I just went head-to-head -head with this one person. Well, guess what? You still attacked the temple. You might have only um, affected one wall, so to speak, or even a couple stones, but it is still a big deal, and you should expect that God is not going to fare well with you. Um, but a lot of people just don't get that message. Have you ever seen, for example, two Christians, they get into a huff, they get into a fight, and, you know, I don't get along with him anymore, I don't get along with her anymore. Ever see that? It happens. And that's why I'm over here, that's why I'm over there, and, uh, hey, you know, you need to get that worked out. Anything that you want to add or ask before we look at verses 18 and 19? Brent? Do you think that the warning in 17 uh, applies as well to Chapter 6, Let's look at it again. If any man destroys the temple of God, him shall God destroy. So the question is, if you harm... Anything like harmful drugs. Yeah, 
Would there have to be application there as well? Yeah, I think so, especially if you throw in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And the 2 Corinthians letter, Paul said, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Why? Well, if you are individually the temple of God, then you do not want to harm that. Now, that does create some interesting questions. You can look at it, uh, for example, here's some people who would say, I never go to the doctor. You know, I never want to follow my blood pressure. If I get diabetes, it's just going to be, you know, God's will for me. Um, never have to watch what I eat. So if I'm 750 pounds, uh, you know, never exercise. Um, people will sometimes raise those kinds of questions as far as if my body is the temple of God, then what does that mean as far as my responsibilities? So let's throw that out as far as a question. What would that mean? If you don't want to destroy the church, that's really bad. And our body is a temple. What then? What does that mean for us? We need to be good stewards of whatever. Well, that's that's absolutely right. Um, that's still that general answer, though. I mean, that brings us a little further down the path. If we are um, the temple of God individually, we need to be good stewards. What exactly, though, would that involve? Let's, let's push that answer down to a little more um, specific answer. Well, then you're going to get into this thing. Okay. That's, that's where I say it gets down. Does everybody have to be a marathon runner? No. All right. We would say, no, not everybody has to run a marathon. Okay. So we can say that there are some things where you wouldn't have to go there. But if it's not that extreme, what about the other extreme where we would say we don't have to do anything? That also doesn't seem to be very sensible. So if this extreme is wrong and that extreme is wrong, where would sort of the middle, the middle be? Doing things that would harm his body, like alcohol, drugs. All right, you know, we, we do know uh, there were people. You know, you think about the Indians and the peace pipes. Did they have somebody out there saying smoke can be bad for you? Well, probably not too many folks. You know, that was just part of the process. So in their culture, in their understanding. Uh, that was a good thing to do. But we have um, some government organizations today, some branches of the government who deal with things such as health, and they will say that smoke, secondhand smoke, or if you're a smoker, uh, that can significantly impact your lifestyle. Um, drugs are illegal for a reason or two, aren't they? Why are some drugs illegal? Well, addiction would certainly be a big part of that. Anything else? They, they can do bad things to you. Uh, people will talk about the psychedelic dreams that they have and some other things, and you, you find that people cannot control the vehicle, and there are some other things. Todd? What if you, uh, like the Indians, like, you know, smoke pot for, you know, people smoke pot for, like, cancer and stuff. It's harming your lungs, but, I mean... Yeah, well, that is a really good illustration as far as a discussion, because there you're looking sort of at a trade-off. It would be, for example, the person says, uh, the doc has prescribed this medicine for me. Anytime a doctor prescribes a pill, there's always what question in the back of the mind? What are the... All right, what are the side effects? In other words, you're going to help me in this way, but I recognize that with the potential benefits, there will be some trade-offs. So um, if I don't do it, I'm going to face some consequences. If I do do it, there are going to be some consequences. So this is where you get back to the balancing act. Brian, you brought up a really good question. Um, but in my mind, it does tie in a little bit to Romans chapter 14. People are going to have to make some individual decisions, but you're trying to kind of balance that out. 
Some people will be the marathon runners. Some other people will say, uh, you know, I possibly could do that, but that's not really the route that I want to go as far as exercise. Some other people will say, you know, we're going to you know, eat the healthiest stuff that we can every single day of the week. Some other people would say that's not going to be um, our focus. Uh, so it does seem like there is some elasticity there. But the general principle, if people will remember that, um, it's, it's just like inter inter interacting with people congregationally. Are we always going to have perfect interactions with fellow members of the Christ, uh, with fellow members of the church? No. If you're married, are you always going to have perfect interaction with your spouse and with your kids? No. But what are you trying to have? What are you trying to achieve? Thinking about it in terms of the family. Balance. Yeah, there's going to be a balance. You know, sometimes it's going to be great. Sometimes it's not going to be great. But for the most part, we're going to try to stay stay on kind of an even keel. The same thing with the kids. There are going to be some times where we think, I wish all of my uh, decisions could be that good. And then there are going to be some other times where I think I never have to make that kind of decision again because we really, really blew it. But for the most part, we're trying to kind of stay in the middle. And I think that's the key there when you look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, we know what our bodies are. We are good stewards, as, as Carol was saying, and, and we try to live in an appropriate way. Gary? When a similar situation you could look at, we're told to evangelize the word, but it doesn't mean we have to do it from the what time, the minute we yes. get up to the minute we go to bed because we have jobs, we take care of our families. Um, obviously, there's an example of how we're supposed to do those things, but you know, not all of us can be full-time missionaries in the field all the time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you find the balance. Balance is that key word. Anybody else? Okay, uh, Tim? I, I was just going to say, it just seems like, to me anyway, that a Christian's whole life is a balancing act. I mean all of it. And every single day, some of the decisions we make are minor, and some of them are pretty heavy. And we, we have to weigh the good things against the bad things, and, and hopefully we're able to choose the right side. And, in, and it may not even be to our own liking, but we may have to choose it anyway. But it, it's something that we have to do, and especially for Christians. Yeah, about, I don't know, six or eight weeks ago, uh, I think it was a morning sermon, gave the illustration as far as um, black belts, Taekwondo. I told you that they had, I think at the time, about 10, 10th degree black belts, and that required about 50 years of practice. 50 years of practice. Now, to get to that level, here is someone who looks at that level and says, I want that. It is not easy. It's going to cost me. And, you know, um, some of the things are probably going to have to be set aside. And I'm not always going to be, you know, perfectly aligned with those goals. But that is my number one priority in life. And that's how we need to see the Christian life. That we can be part of God's temple collectively. We are part of it individually. And we want to do our best to live lives which are consistent with that goal. Okay, First Corinthians chapter 3, 18 and 19. Paul says, let no man deceive himself. If any man thinketh that he is wise among you in this world but and become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. The deceit that is talked about in verse 18, it is described with the present tense. That is, Paul says, let no man keep on, let no man continue to deceive himself. Now, who do you think, bearing in mind what we've already seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, who do you think this deceitfulness refers back to? I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter, I am of Christ. 
directed back to those factious troublemakers at Corinth. One source defined this as sinful deception. The people who were continuously divisive, they were contentious. Paul says they were deluded. They were not thinking correctly. And maybe some of those splinter groups uh, really believed that they were headed in the right kind of way, but Paul says you are being deceived. Can pride or arrogance sometimes cause people to be deluded? They just, like I say, have something in their head, they've made a determination, and they simply refuse to realize that there, there may be a problem with that. Well, Paul understands that the bad attitudes, the problems of the congregation were not going to be solved until people started to think correctly. We see a similar problem in our time today. We have people who have been taught a certain mindset, they're thinking along um, you know, certain lines, and until the thinking process can be changed, it's like reasoning with the wind. There's nothing that can be done. And you have a similar problem at Corinth. Delusion is a terrible thing. When you look at the Bible, you find multiple points. For example, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6, the Bible says we can deceive other people. The Bible says we can be deceived by others. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. Or as we have here, we find that we can deceive ourselves. When someone is deceiving himself or herself, it's bad. Uh, we see that now in a lot of different ways, one of which would be the, the gender transition stuff. Imagine having someone who is, you know, maybe not even 10, but at the age of 10 or 15 or maybe 20, thinking, hey, someone has told me, at least implanted the idea in my mind that, you know, um, my birth certificate might say I'm a girl or a boy, but I have been convinced that now, even though the certificate says girl, I'm a boy, or the certificate says boy, and I am a girl. You know, up until about five years ago, I think for most people that would have been unthinkable. If you had said that five years ago, people would have thought you need to see a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and get your head straightened out. But now people are being told that is natural. People are being told that, you know, you uh, have finally seen the light. But that would be, for us, an, uh, an illustration of self-deception. I've already seen, as you can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, the Corinthians like wisdom. They like to think that they were smarter than other people. They like to think that they were really enlightened and so forth. And I mentioned to you sometime back that they had wisdom teachers. There were people who would go around and they had their own little school and they would talk about some ideas and people thought that that really helped them understand. The gospel, when you look at it, and this is one of the points in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 3, especially those two chapters, you uh, find a contrast between the wisdom of the world and the gospel of Christ. Uh, we've got that still even with some religious groups. They will take their wisdom, their ideas, and say this is the right way to live. Well, a lot of that so-called wisdom is nothing but trickery. People are being deceived by different messages, sometimes by um, people who are in it for financial gain, sometimes people who want a following or something else. But again and again, the Bible warns about false doctrine. It talks about counterfeit faith. It talks about being led astray. Uh, the people who are considered to be wise in this world or wise in the matters of this world, uh, he says in the latter part of verse 18, what? Don't continue to be deceived. If anybody thinks that he is wise, anybody thinks that he's got all this stuff figured out, let him become what? A fool. Now, if you were to divorce that from its context, if you were not to think about that in terms of what else we find in Scripture, what would that sound like? Become a fool. Well, no, I would say that really doesn't make a lot of sense. If somebody says go out and become a foolish person, why would I want to do that? That's going to get me in trouble. That's not, that's not going to help me through life. So what do you think Paul means then when he says you need to become a fool? 
fools don't fools aren't wise, and if they're putting this wisdom in a certain good place, then you need to get rid of that so you become like a fool. Yes. The what the world says is foolishness. What the world says is uh, a life which is wasted. You're not using your time well. Uh, the world says that's not logical. That's not sensible. Then uh, God says the opposite of the world's way is what you need to do. Paul, throughout this letter, you see different examples. Um, you can take, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You come along, you're talking to people who think that there is no life after death, that death is the very end, and you show up and say, hey, there was this guy by the name of Jesus. He lived uh, over there in the area of Palestine, and one day he was put to death, put to death on a cross, and three days later he comes back from the dead and he's alive, and he's going to live forever. Now, if you're someone whose worldview says that life is limited to this earth, and you hear that, how are you going to respond to that kind of message? We don't it. We yeah, don't you say, that's absolute foolishness. We know, right? We know that life ends once you can't move and once you can't speak. That is the end. It is game over. You do not come back from that. Uh, so there are a lot of things as far as Christianity that run absolutely counter to the world. In fact, in the second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, Paul makes the point that the gospel and Christians, they are at war with the world. Christians cannot serve Christ and adhere to the ideas and the ways of the world. We've got only one master as a Christian. We've got only one lawgiver. And if you look at the various Greek and the various barbarian ideas, some of which are found in Scripture, you find that virtually everything that would have been associated with those cultures is hostile to the gospel. We have in many ways avoided a lot of that over the last 200 years because Christianity does have some strong roots and, and connections to the American culture that we live in, but little by little that is being phased out. Now, if you think about this in terms of, for example, creation, um, earthly wisdom really struggles sometimes with God having any part in the process. So there have been some um, efforts to say, okay, you know, we... we have to have some kind of power, so let's acknowledge God, but let's not go all the way and say that he created everything from nothing, or that everything, if it was created from nothing, it did not all come about in six days. So how do they compromise on that point? They would say, well, yeah, we can acknowledge a God, and we can acknowledge creation, but that creation took place how? Through evolution, Through evolution and then you become a theistic evolution. Theism, is, of course, is God, and then the um, evolution part is, you know, God just let all this stuff happen. Well, the implication is that, you know, God may or may not have had the power to make everything at once, uh, instantly, and then take things little by little over that six-day period, um, but the Bible affirms that. So it's just one small illustration of how the world sees things. There is a fellow by the name of Lee Strobel. You may not have ever heard of him for a while. He was a newspaper reporter and had at least some atheistic tendencies if he was not a strong atheist. And he, in one of his books, told of um, a debate he moderated. The debate was, I'll give you the quote, between William Wayne Craig and a national spokesman for American Atheists Incorporated. Strobel noted how he watched the faces of people as they discovered, many for the first time, that Christianity can stand up to rational analysis and rugged scrutiny. His comments about the conclusion of this debate are also interesting. In the end, it was no contest. Among those who had entered the auditorium that evening as avowed atheists, agnostics, and skeptics, an overwhelming 82% walked out concluding that, incident, in concluding that the case for Christianity had been the most compelling. 
Then he said, incidentally, nobody became an atheist. Uh, so I think that is insightful, and that has happened on a number of occasions. People are fed this idea that when it comes to the Christian faith, uh, there's no historical evidence for it, or the evidence is shaky. The Bible is full of contradictions. Christians have a very weak case. When you actually sit down and start sifting through things, and there's a lot to sift through, you have to say, this checks out, and this checks out, and this checks out. Um, didn't give this little detail to you in this um, Sunday morning class on Acts, but I picked this up. People in the wintertime go south, oftentimes. They want better weather, and uh, I think maybe the impression is that people have never done that in the past. But I noted um, within the last week, the Bible uses the word winter uh, at least four times. And if you were to go back and you would look at those four times, you would find, for example, in Acts chapter 27 where we are, uh, winter had come and that created some problems for a storm. But when you look at the other three places where that word is used, at least a couple of those describe people spending the winter in a certain place because that was ideal. Uh, so when you start looking at scripture, it's, it's filled with small details like that, which help you realize that it really is the best book on human psychology. It's a book which describes things really as they are, and it has held up as far as the test of time. It is truly an amazing book. But a lot of times people will get, um, you know, their evidence or, uh, from some source which is not reliable or they'll look to other people. Um, anything that you want to add or ask about that before we start talking about the worldly wisdom in a little more detail? Okay, let's go down here and see what else we have to say. Um, the world has its ideas as far as wisdom when it comes to um, education, uh, what morality is, what forgiveness should mean, what marriage should be, how it's defined, what is and is not suitable rec recreation and entertainment. The world has its wisdom when it comes to how children should be disciplined. It has a definition for commitment, has its own ideas about death. It has its conception of beauty, what it means to succeed, what religion should be or is, and what happiness is. The world has ideas about every single thing. When you start looking at those ideas, though, oftentimes they're in direct conflict with the world. Consider some of these statements. If something feels good, do it. Would you say that's the world's wisdom? Oftentimes it is. Here's another one. Don't deny pleasure today because tomorrow may never come. Or if you do something, you can do it and nobody else is ever going to know. That's worldly wisdom. An opportunity of pleasure may be lost if it's not taken out. Choose your own path. Sexual relationships outside of marriage, no big deal. Everybody does it. Everybody tells what kind of lie? A little white lie. Little white lie. That's, once again, the wisdom of the world. Uh, is it acceptable to hate at least some people? In the wisdom of the world? Sure. I mean, if they're not fair to you, they're not kind to you, they mistreat you, then hate them. Sure, that's that's perfectly fine. Um, put who first? Why? Well, there is that. And you might say, too, you deserve it. Uh, get people before they get you. You have a right to be... Well, how about happy? Anybody ever hear that? You've got a right to be happy. Well, where do you think that's coming from, the Bible or the world? Is coming from the world. Some other things. Uh, you know, you can't trust anybody. All people are the same. People can't change your behavior, especially when they get old. Life should be based on how we feel instead of what is true. Uh, the majority determines right and wrong. Pride's a virtue. Divorce is the best solution to some marriage issues. Love your friends. Hate your enemies. All kinds of things. 
Uh, it's just insane, some of the stuff that you hear from the world and a lot of things that people are taught. Uh, anybody hear this one? I mean, I think this guy is really far out. But he said, unless you give some reparations to people, uh, they're going to commit crimes. Anybody hear that statement recently? Yeah. I, I am thinking, wow, do you really believe that? That you have to pay people to be good. Yeah. Well, the world's wisdom, I guess, says that's bad. So uh, when you let the world's wisdom continue to go and go and go without God, you really get to some mixed up ideas. And we see those in society now. And they just seem to be compounding and compounding. <clears throat> Thankfully, it looks like finally some of the world's wisdom uh, is starting to turn some people back. Uh, that there are, There's actually some pushback. I was hoping we'd eventually see that before the, the whole country seemed to finally collapse. But people are finally starting to wise up a little bit. Um, do we see the world's wisdom when it comes to religion as well? Yes. Here are some illustrations. You cannot know if God exists. Think anybody ever hears that? You cannot know that God exists. Well, yeah, you'd hear that from some people in the world. Or you might hear this jewel a lot of college kids have, absolute truth does not exist. Well, that sounds pretty comforting, doesn't it? It is. Yes, it is. How about this one? There are many ways to heaven. All right. Would you say that that's the world's wisdom? It is. But when you look at the Bible, what do you find? God says, uh-uh, he definitely puts a red flag on that one. Uh, there would be some people who would say prayer doesn't work. The Bible is a good book, but it's not relevant to modern society. Would you think that anybody would ever postulate the idea that heaven is not real or hell is not real? That's the world's wisdom. All that exists, all for you, is what you make out of this life, so enjoy it. There have been some people who have suggested that Jesus did not actually live, or they propose that if Jesus did live, he was not resurrected. People have suggested that parts of Christianity can be disproved, or they say all Christians are hypocrites. God doesn't need to be feared. There's nothing beyond this life. God is not fair. If God existed, here's one that you find again and again. If God existed, what would not be true for our world? What wouldn't exist? All right, death could be one or trials, illness, suffering, all those kinds of things. And you can kind of understand that from the world's perspective. That's the world's thinking, uh, that if there is a God, then he must um, work in this way. Uh, people have said the devil is not real. Mentioned Sunday that Satanism is really pushing that hard right now. Uh, how about this one? Um, all the church wants is money. Ever hear that one? All right. That's the wisdom of the world. That's not some groups may want that and some groups may push for that. Uh, Christianity is just a bunch of rules. All good people go to heaven. We can save ourselves. I can get along just fine with my own religion. Everybody needs to find a faith that works for them. We can't make judgments in religious matters. Women are qualified to be preachers. So this list, as far as the world's wisdom, it may vary a little bit compared to what Corinth was doing, um, but it's just all around us. Ever hear anybody say marriage is just a piece of paper? All right. I mean, all these little statements, which are so popular, revenge is fine, revenge, revenge is good, um, abortion is fine, it's, it's uh, not a person in the womb, animals are just important as human. Ever hear that? Animal rights, they're just as important as people. It's amazing what people will say and what people will believe. Right now, we've got the woke culture that we've talked about before, W-O-K-E, and that involves really all the craziness that you see around you. I mean, people, um, you know, from thinking that they're animals to they can't figure out the gender or, 
you know, you've got more letters attached to people sometimes, and we've got letters in the alphabet. Um, it's just really, really unbelievable. So Paul says, going back to where we are, he says, you must become a fool, especially when we look at our culture right now. If you stand up for what are commonly called biblical values, how are you going to be seen? You are a crackpot. You are a nut. You are an extremist. You are a radical. You are dangerous. And that's where some people have found themselves in America. I mean, from people going to school boards, and they haven't always behaved well at school boards, but for people speaking out, um, I mean, they have been marked and they have been tracked, and it's it's just really uh, bad in a lot of places. Now, given that that is the case, that here's the world's view of all these things, and they're very firm on those convictions, here's God, and he is very firm on his convictions, where does that put the Christian? The world says you better believe this or you're a dangerous radical. God says you better do this or you're not going to be faithful. The Christian's kind of in the middle, and what does that mean? What are some of the pressures or consequences possibly from that? Yeah, you can be someone who's kind of you know pulled back and forth. We know that's not good. It's kind of being the lukewarm. Well, the world gets me today and God gets me tomorrow. That can't be good. What else? It can be hard because the side that's pushing you from the world, you can see and you can feel right then and now. Yeah. But with the God, you have to know that your reward is coming later. Yeah. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, so to speak. If there is a threat for the job, threat that you lose your house, threat that you will go to prison, threat that you know maybe the kids will be taken away, all those kinds of things, uh, that's very difficult. What then about Christians and compromise. Wouldn't that naturally put Christians in a position where they would say, I really want God, but the world is really putting the hammer down on me, so somehow we're going to have to, to compromise. It's a natural tendency. It's something that a lot of people have done. You find it in the book of Revelation. You find other people who have wanted one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Theistic evolution is a really good compromise uh, as far as an illustration for that. But Jesus, remember what he says over in Mark chapter 10, verse 34? He says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring what? I came to bring a sword. What's he mean there? You take the sword, and probably wouldn't want to use it on a pineapple, but let's just use that as an illustration. You pick up the sword, bring it down, and what happens to the pineapple? All right. And you are either this half or you are that half. You know, there is no in-between once you hack the pineapple in two. That's Jesus' point. You're going to have to make a decision. And for our culture, last 70 years or so, um, you know, most people, uh, last generation or two, have not really had it too difficult when it comes to living the Christian life. It's, we can become a Christian, our values are probably going to be mainstream, especially if we live in a fairly conservative area, but folks, we're getting to a point where that is no longer the case. Um, you look at some of the coasts, and it has not been... I remember being on a campaign about 15 years ago, and there was this lady, she, just her dress, uh, made her, to me, look like somebody who was in hiding, like, you know, she was trying to avoid the mob or something. And I talked to her, she said, I'm in California. And she said, I've got to be so careful about my faith. And I've never forgotten that, because I don't know a lot about her, her work circumstances at the time, but those words have stuck with me. Because of where I live, I need to be so careful about my faith. 
and that's that's coming to all parts of the country. Anything that you want to add or ask along those lines, Gary? I even heard a comedian say that he lives in California, but he's a Republican, so he's a closet Republican. Yeah. Because, because of the culture, but also the phrase "What happens if Vegas stays in Vegas?" seems to like go on with that, and that's infiltrated so much that I've even seen signs that you can, you know, cute signs that say, what happened at grandma stays at grandma's. Like, you know, we can break the rules and it's just, it's everywhere. Yeah. When you look at actors, there have been a few conservative actors, you know, Pat Boone would kind of stand out, you know, doctrinally we would have some issues with him, uh, but there have been some others who have been out in, you know, places like Hollywood and they've talked about the fact that either maybe they didn't get some acting gigs or the fact that they were pretty much shunned because of their quote-unquote conservative values. They just did not fly very well out there, and it has been a problem. Um, I'll tell you this, and I, I was actually shocked by this, not to speak ill of the deceased, but um, Holly Dunn, I referenced her. Anybody know that she married a woman? I had somebody do a little looking and sent me uh, a note, and I said, well, that's news to me. Now, she apparently didn't, make a big deal out of that. And there are some questions as to perhaps why she did that. But going back to what you said earlier as far as being pulled back to the world, I mean, it's happened to a lot of good people. And it is definitely a problem in our culture. And when you see it happening, I mean, it, it is really shocking sometimes. But our, our authority has to be the truth. Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Thy what is truth? Anybody remember? Thy word is truth. That's where we need to go versus the wisdom of the world. Anything else before we say a little bit about verse 19? As far as, sorry, as far as the store hacking the pineapple into two, you can't put it back together and have it make any kind of sense. Yeah. It's, it really is the yeah. and, and that's true when you think about the world and Christianity. There is no way to bridge. There is no way to merge. A lot of people have tried to do that. When John wrote to the seven churches in Revelation, he talked about um, Jezebel and said that she was seducing us servants. Apparently, she was trying to kind of work a deal with the trade guilds in that name time and said, hey, you can still be faithful to God and you can still do these things over here and be okay with, with the, the trade guilds, the union, so to speak. And John said, uh-uh, she is a bad lady. Do not try to go down that road. But the idea of compromise has existed for a long time. Uh, Balaam, he would be another example. And even uh, in the book of Jude, you have some references to him. So very good. Anybody else? Tim, and then Betty. We can, uh, <clears throat> we can see what kind of shape the world is in. And the world has been following its own advice for thousands of years. And if there's one really bad flaw in human beings, it's that they don't learn very well. Yeah. Because they know they've failed all these thousands of years trying to have their own way, and they keep trying to do it anyway. And God has proven many, many, many times his way is the best way uh, for all outcomes, for your own personal outcome, your family's outcome, the world's outcome, your nation's outcome, but they won't do it. No. And I guess two things drive people that way, the uh, love for money, and they want their own way. Those two things right there. It's like this, this transgender thing going on. It's all about money. And the people that are staying to make the money, they don't care about all the minds that they're yeah. 
they're messing up along the way as long as they make that money. Yeah, in verse 19, Paul talks about the wisdom of the world. He says it's foolishness with God, but the world thinks that its ways are wise. The diversity, the equity, the inclusion, the DEI stuff that's taking place in a lot of different ways right now, the world says this is the way to go. Or saying that, you know, um, putting people who commit crimes in jail is a bad thing. That, again, is the world's wisdom. Or other things as far as the world's wisdom. Um, I mean, just the whole woke culture right now. Uh, you know, climate change would be another thing. The world says, you know, unless we can get a handle on the climate, and we're not interested in, in bashing the planet, we're not interested in trashing the place as Christians, but the idea that, that God is not in control of the world and that man can control the climate and kind of push God out of the picture, um, that is, again, exhibit A for the wisdom of the world. The world says it has to be our way. We've got the best ideas, the best solutions, and if you don't follow our ways, our ideas, our procedures, things are going to turn out to be a disaster. That just pushes God completely out the window uh, and, and disregards him. And people should not expect to fare well if that's their choice. Betty? I think it goes back to um, Strobel's illustration as far as the atheists. People actually had a chance to see what was in the scriptures. They had a chance to hear the defense for God, the Bible, Christianity, and it was, we've never heard this stuff before. So sometimes, um, I mean, it would be, this isn't the best illustration, but somebody hears about the family history from the grandfather or the great-grandfather. We had no idea that our family history was, was this interesting or this unusual or this striking. And uh, you don't really see too many efforts to not have the Book of Mormon in the schools or get rid of the Quran in the schools or the writings of Mary Baker Eddy or you can just go down the list. But it is the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And you have to ask why the scriptures are so hated. And the answer is, Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 6, the scriptures are the spirit sword. They are powerful. Um, going back to the illustration of Mark chapter 10, it is that sword-like document which gets strong reactions from people. And uh, our world absolutely hates it. They fear it. Okay, let's see what else we've got in verse 19. Paul says that the world of his day, we would say it's true of ours as well, it considered, it, it considered itself to be wise. So even 2,000 years ago, people felt like they had a great understanding of all kinds of things, and certainly with our day and time. Uh, now, with what we see as far as artificial intelligence, um, I've not played with that yet. Brian, have you played with that a little bit more or not? Yeah, a little bit. So what have you found? That's well, interesting. I, you can get it to give uh, some sensible comments. I was curious. I thought I would just run a master's thesis with footnotes on a certain topic and see if it was able to generate that. Do you think it could? Uh, it could certainly within a thousand words, something like that. I don't know how, how lengthy you could get. Okay. I mean, it, it is amazing. And they're talking about all kinds of things. We're talking about the technology where, um, you know, we can have self-driving cars. You go on a long trip, you can just have an app. Just check out. I mean, the wisdom of the world we have gotten as far as 
2,000 years past the time of Paul, I mean, it is just really, it's scary in some ways. And yet Paul says, regardless of what the world thinks it knows or the technology it has, it's all with God what? Man's greatest accomplishments. It's foolishness. God, It's like God looking down and saying, is this all you can do? You can put a man on the moon. What? What'd you say? Yes, that, that, that's right. God said, well, I made it. You know, uh, I made the moon. Uh, and that's all that you can do. You can just go that far. Um, so we might get to Mars and some other places someday, maybe even colonize uh, the moon and some other places. But again, God says, you just really need to realize how foolish you are. Paul goes on to say, it is written, and that expression is uh, expressed with a perfect tense verb. In other words, God made that point in the past during the Old Testament era, and that is still true. Man's wisdom will always be foolishness with God. It does not matter how far we go as far as travel. Um, we might be able to one day go to uh, the deepest ocean uh, depth, and we might be able to go unbelievable distances in space. Um, you know, we could maybe travel around the world in an hour, possibly. And again, whatever the accomplish- accomplishments, there is always going to be the truth that God is God, and man is going to be man. You have two in verse 19. This is at the end of the verse. God takes the wise in their craftiness. That's a quote from Job 5 and verse 13. And um, he he catches them. Uh, that is not going to work very well. You find that statement was made by Eliphaz. He was not an inspired spokesman. That is, he was not like Paul. But in this particular case, he made a statement which was absolutely true. He didn't always get it right, but in this particular occasion, he said the things which man regards as wise or crafty or important when it comes to God, again, it is like their man's downfall. You see that, I think, with technology. Man says, okay, let's get this, and uh, we are going to correct this, we're going to fix this. Going back to AI for just a second, they say, look at what we can produce with a computer in just seconds. Well, man in his own craftiness might be able to do that, but how does it come back to bite him? What are teachers now experiencing? Cheaters. All right. They're having problems with cheaters. Teacher says you need to turn in a seven-page paper or term paper on subject X. No problem. Out pops the paper, and you print it and go. So people have been doing a lot of things. Uh, you find sometimes that technology can lead to laziness. Uh, people think, all right, we're going to prolong life, but then... Maybe that ends up, uh, you know, costing more money as far as the medical bills. So, uh, crime, corruption, a lot of things people think that we, we've finally found the fig, we finally figured the right way to do this. This is the best course. And then just as we've seen with some of the woke stuff, uh, people eventually realize, hey, this was not really a great idea. So, man's wisdom, sometimes it has been uh, helpful as far as improving things in society, but many other times people get these great ideas. And they turn out to be anything other than great. 